All right, if you will, please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. If you don't have a Bible, please share. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. This morning, in light of the fact that it is the new year, in light of the fact that we have had a tradition here at Christian Fellowship Church to open up the year with what we call Stewardship Month, we're going to be back in our study of 2 Timothy at in the middle of February. <coughs> but for now, what we're going to do is we're going to do a series of studies to help us with our stewardship. Remember, a steward is one who is to be found faithful. A steward is someone that has been given something. And we who are believers in Jesus Christ have been given time talents, and treasures. Every one of us have. Every one of you, I know you, who regularly attend, you've been given time, talent, and treasures. And now is a good time to evaluate where you're at with God and how you're living your life and where it needs to improve. And this morning, we are going to be in the book of Revelation because it fits so perfectly with communion and what we're going to do with communion for the first seven months this year is we are going to be looking at the seven churches of Revelation because they are the evaluation that Jesus Christ gives for the church. And I could give you all kinds of human evaluations like how much time are you reading your Bible every day? How much time are you praying? But so much of that is subjective, what I think is appropriate. It is important that we find what Jesus Christ is going to hold over us when it comes to judgment. The book of Revelation is a book that brings great blessing. We just studied it on Wednesday nights, and I greatly encourage you to come on Wednesday nights. We're either going to be in the book of Job, or we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter on Wednesday nights, dealing with hardships and suffering. Maybe we'll go into both. But the book of Revelation is a book that gives blessing. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are in it, for the time is near. And what we found on Wednesday night is there are seven blessings. We often think of the Beatitudes, the blessings of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those are blessings. But the book of Revelation has blessings for us now too. To be blessed means to be in a good position. It doesn't mean that you're joyfully ecstatic and crazy, happy, but that you are blessed. You are in a good place with God. You're in a good place spiritually. The book of Revelation is often thought of as a book that is just dealing with end times. It is a prophecy, but it is a book that has much to say about what you do now. The outline for the book is in verse 19, I believe it is. Revelation 1.19, John is told, Therefore, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. If you've studied the book of Revelation, you know it's a threefold outline. Things you've seen. 
He's seen things. He's been given a vision of angel in Jesus Christ, chapter 1. The things that are the seven churches of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. The things that will be from chapter 4 to chapter 22. Chapters 2 and 3 focus on seven churches that were in Asia. It's believed when John was given the book of Revelation, the very last book that was written in the Bible, the very last book of obviously in the New Testament, nothing is to be added to this. This is why when we hear of the book of Mormon or the, this book or that prophecy, this is why people, when they speak in tongues today, they cannot be telling the truth because Jesus Christ told us the book of Revelation is done. God's revelation is done in that sense where people are saying, I've got new prophecy. You can't have it. Jesus comes and he gives us his book. And every one of these seven churches, whether it's Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, and if you look at chapter 2, verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. These are seven churches that will have different attributes. Some will be commended and condemned. Some will only be condemned. Some will be only commended. These are things that Jesus Christ finds important. Never does he rebuke a church for being too small. Never does he rebuke a church for how much time they're spending in the word, how modern they are. <coughs> really doesn't even rebuke them for how evangelistic they are. It's very important we see what he holds important. And so we come to the first one today. Let's read verses 1 to 7. The church of Ephesus, which is today in modern Turkey, the land area where we say Asia. The church of Ephesus, very prominent, very big city. It was a church that was founded on Paul's, really his third missionary journey. He spent some time there on his second missionary journey, but he spends a lot of time on his third missionary journey there. Verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toils and your perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men and that you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. He's going to close the church. Yet, this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were people who said they believed in God, but said you can live any way you want. This is the day and age when we live, we're watching this played out in our very lives. We're watching people who say, oh, you can be a believer, but you can live any way you want. 
We even have books from professors who are just considered very, very sound professors, and they're saying, oh, absolutely, you make a profession of Christ, you can go, and you can even say that you don't even believe in Jesus anymore, let alone, let alone do all kinds of immorality. Yesterday, I'm trying to get rid of this. I'm in the Y, and I'm in a sauna, and I had an opportunity to share the gospel with a guy in the, show, in, the, in the sauna, and he's telling me, he goes, wow, I can't believe that you know, that, that I could talk to you as a pastor and we can go over the gospel. And he goes, you know, where I grew up and I know this church, he goes, he goes, they really, in essence, they focused on the externals, but they really didn't work on the heart. And they, I believe they talk about like once saved, always saved, which we believe. But then they say, oh, you just go live any way you want. He goes, yeah. He goes, I have a hard time because my Sunday school teacher, he goes, Last time I saw him, I saw him at the local strip club. And he goes, I just, I just don't get it. That's the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Yeah, I'm a believer, but yeah, I hang out at the strip clubs. Let me tell you something. You say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your life had better change and live holy. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear. Understand. Now, what is the key thing here? Verse four, I have this against you. The church was commended. We'll talk about that in a second. But the emphasis is, and you look on your sermon notes, if you're visiting, there are sermon notes in the bulletin. It's an evaluation of your love. This I have against you, that you left your first love, your love at first, not like your chronological love. Like when I was in first grade, there was this girl with glasses. She was really cute. I won't say her name, although I know her. Wow, she was just great, beautiful, loved her. No, this is your love at first. A love like when you get married and the person that you fall in love with and you marry, how you treat them. And the idea here is that, is that, that fervency this agape love that carries a passion, because the word agape here is the love that is the love of choice, the love of action, but it carries a passion. It's a love that they've left. And I've used this analogy and I, all the time. It's a great analogy <coughs> where we see this played out. We get married. Our spouse is sick. I wait on her hand and foot. First year of marriage, whatever you need, sweetheart. Five years in the marriage, oh, you're a little sick? Yeah, you know, before I was running out to Walgreens in the middle of the night. Now I see, we'll give you what's ever in the medicine cabinet. (laughs) Ten years into marriage, love is a little bit waning. You're a little sick? Here, let me give you a list of things that you need for yourself, like chicken soup and medicine, and you can pick them all up when you're at the grocery store. (laughs) All right? That kind of love, waning, God doesn't want us to have. And what you have to understand is, like, when you become a believer, you're reading the scriptures in the past, and you're finding time to read scriptures, and you're going in, and you're telling everybody about Jesus Christ, because you may not have all your theology down, but you just want people to know that Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever come into your life. 
You see, when the, when the church at Ephesus is found, and you go book, back in the book of Acts and you look at it, they were a church that was setting the whole world upside down because they were known for their idols. And these people were all of a sudden throwing their idols away. They weren't keeping feet on both sides of the fence, if you will. They were passionate about God. Now you look at this church. It's one that Jesus is in the center of. Verse one, to the angel or the messenger. There are seven angels. We believe those are messengers, not angelic beings. The word angel could be a messenger. (coughs) Verse two. The one who holds the seven stars, the one is Jesus, and he walks among his churches, the seven stars in his right hand, the seven lampstands. Jesus Christ is active in this church. Church at Ephesus, church here in Hammond. He's in control of the church. I will build my church, he said. Verse 2, he commends this church. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. Your works, your toil, where you get tired, your perseverance, when you're beyond tired and you keep going. And I always use the illustration, whether it's a wana, whether it's <coughs> Sunday school, whether it's in any area of ministry, any way you, you serve your family, you serve God. He says, I know that you've worked hard for me and like you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. They're doctrinally discerning. And I love verse 3. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. They've, they've dealt with persecution. Now this is 90 AD, 90, 95 AD when he writes this. It was about 50 years earlier when the church was founded on this third missionary journey. <clears throat> Our church is about 84, 85 years old. Christian Fellowship Church. The church has gone through a lot. It's been faithful, it's been dedicated, it's been committed. You think, wow, this sounds like it's a great church. What would you ever find wrong with it? Man, I get up, I'm here for Sunday school. I'm here for service. I'm here on Wednesday nights. I'm out witnessing. I'm out serving when they need some, something done at the church. I'm there. I'm even reading doctrinal books. And I'm making sure people know who's the good pastors and who's the bad pastors. I'm someone who's faithful in my family. I'm someone that regularly gives money to the church. Verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have left your love at first. Other things have crept in. What are they? I don't know. I can't miss church because my sports team's on. I mean, I, I can miss church because my sports team's on. I can miss church because of this. I can, I'm not going to necessarily share the gospel because of, I'm, I don't want to be thought of as a Jesus freak. I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't want to just I can give a whole list, but whatever. Your, your fervency isn't there. 
Now the question then becomes like, what is this love? Is it love for God? Is it love for people? And I believe after studying this passage through the years, it's both. I love this passage. You jot this down. We'll look at it later for sake of time. You look at it later. Jeremiah 2.2. You see, we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in Jeremiah 2, God is rebuking the people of Israel because they no longer passionately love him like when they were first married. And he says this, and and I don't know which exact version this is. But it's Jeremiah 2.2. It says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How, as a bride, you love me. And God is talking about is when Israel was first formed as a nation. How you love me and followed me through the desert. And the implication is with a, with a passion, with an intensity. You wanted to know what I had to say. You, you were attentive to me. And then that would flow out in the way you treat people. So this morning, what I want to do is I don't want to make this just like what Mike's list is. I want to focus on the two categories, your love for God and your love for people. So fill in the blank. Look at your love for God first. If you're looking at your sermon notes and ask yourself, have you left this? Now, the word for leave there means to abandon, to send away, to divorce. We all have seen people that have been touched by divorce. to neglect. You have neglected your love. So what I want to ask you is a series of questions. And the first one comes from 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. Because we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you'll turn to 1 John Chapter 2, many of these questions I have for you come from this text, the book of 1 John. And my first question comes, do you love the world now more than you love God? 1 John chapter 2, John is talking about who is a genuine believer and who is a fake believer. And in the midst of his discussion, he gives this, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world is the material aspects, everything that's in this world. If you love it, Agape love, a passion with action, more than you love, if you love it, then you really cannot love the Father. <clears throat> We're talking about God the Father. For all that's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And he's trying to get you to understand the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So I ask you this morning, look at the overall pattern of your life. Lust of the flesh, what makes me feel good. Lust of the eyes, I like to look at that. Boastful pride of life. How you promote self. Do you love the world more than God? I don't care how long you've been a believer. 
Has something crept in where the world is now more important to you than God? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Second question. Do you lie about your love for God? Go over to chapter 4. Say, oh, I love God. I'm a Christian. People know me. I, I, I go to church every week. God says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, oh, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. How you treat fellow Christians is important. I, I think this is so critical because so many people today will say, oh, <coughs> I'm going to be a lover of God, but then they become monkish. I mean, like monks where these people, they don't understand. They think they're holy because they, they, they go into these monasteries and they devote their lives to God. And they say, oh, I'm, I'm going to study scripture. Or I'm going to take a vow of silence. God says, no, if you love me, it's going to translate into how you love other people. If you're a believer and you're pulling away from people, stop it. Because you cannot love God and then hate your brother. You must be involved with fellow Christians. We just came out of the holidays we dealt with family. Family can often offend us and hurt us the most, and we can say, oh, I have every justification as to why I'm pulling away from family. But God has put family as the test often where you're going to sacrifice the most and you're going to die to self and love them the most if you love God. Third, go to 1 John 5. You're right there, verse 1 and 2. Do you obey God's commands to show your love for him? Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this we know that the love, we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. The idea here is that more and more you read the scriptures and it tells you, oh, you need to forgive or you need to control your mouth or you need to whatever, and it's how you're impacting your, your family, your friends, your fellow believer. <coughs> Do you obey God only when other Christians are around? Do you avoid passages that will convict you? Do you repent of sin? And repent means you walk away from it. John here is saying, If I really love God, it's going to play out in how I love others, but it's going to be tied to God's commandments. You need to be obeying God's commands. And obviously then it fits in like, oh, I've got to read. So my question to you is, have you left your love at first? Because if you are somebody that is passionate about God, you're going to love him more than the world. You're going to love his people. Because you love him, and you're going to love his commandments. You're going to be reading his word. Look at your love for God. Have you left this? 
Second, fill in the blank with look at your love for people. Have you left this? And it's very appropriate that we turn to 1 Corinthians 13. New Testament book. <coughs> we'll be back in 1 John here in a second. First Corinthians 13. When you say, oh yeah, I love, I love my family. I love them so well. I, I make a big spread for them every holiday. Yeah, we make birthdays special. Yeah, I call them up. Yeah, I love this person. She's so dear to me. He's so dear to me. Listen, God's standard isn't how well you think of them. 1 Corinthians 13, 15 verbal adjectives. Love is patient, verse 4. Love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered. That means you forgive. Doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And for those who study the Bible, love never fails, means it never goes away. That's not an attribute. It means it never rusts. Love will be there into eternity. That's what verses 8 to 13 are all about. Listen, I have begged you as a church. I have begged you individually, and I beg you one more time. Ask yourself, do you regularly take yourself through the grid of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7? Am I patient with the way I think, speak, and act in my sins of omission? Patient, kind, not jealous, doesn't brag, am I not arrogant? These 15 verbal adjectives are going to be the heart of your judgment. I can tell you. We have looked at passages like 1 Timothy chapter 1 that talk about the fact that the whole goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, sincere faith. How we talk, how we act, do you act in love? Not by your standard, but by God's standard. Second, is your love sacrificial? Go to 1 John, back to 1 John chapter 3. So we got the standard, but now sacrificially. 1 John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against them, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. He's talking about a need is put before you. Are you sacrificially meeting it? I don't know how much you give. I don't know when you're supposed to give, what time. It could be your time, your talent. I'm too inconvenienced. Can't do that. God says no. Love is sacrificial. So the question is, is it sacrificial? Is it by God's standard, your love for people? And is it sacrificial? Third one, 
is it by God's light? I think in your sermon notes that I have the word commands. Is it in commands? It should be God's light. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. The one who's, verse 9, the one who says he's in the light and hates his brothers in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That's where the unbeliever is. Has somebody offended you? Has somebody hurt you? Has anyone given you justification as to reasons why you should pull away from them? Do you not recognize? Do you not know we've been forgiven? Do you not realize? Do you not recognize the debt that we owed God and yet he forgave us? Do you not realize? Do you not understand? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemy, Christ died for us. To be in the light means that we are in God's holiness. We're, we're following his commands. Thy word is a lamp unto their feet, a lamp, a light unto my path. Psalm 119, I think it's 105. The one, verse 9, who says he's in the light. The, we're saying that we're believers, but yet we hate our brother or our sister, meaning we're not acting lovingly towards them. You're lying to yourself. You're in darkness. Until now, you can repent. And all of this is a challenge for us to see, to understand how important love is. So go back to Revelation 2. Jesus Christ, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says, hey, church at Ephesus, you've been a great church. You're very doctrinally sound. But I have this against you. You have departed. You've neglected your love at first. Therefore, verse 5, remember from where you've fallen. So this morning, are you thinking about what it was like when you were first a believer, how committed you were, how you would do anything for God, anything for his people? how you just wanted to put into practice his word. Remember that. Repent and say, I need to go back. That isn't just, oh, he's a new believer. He'll, he'll, get, he'll become numb like the rest of us. No, we need to have that new believer fervency. Repent and do the deed you did at first. That's not my words. Those are Jesus' words. Verse 5. Or else I'm coming to you and remove your lampstand. The church will be closed down. Wow, that was a really good doctrinally sound church. I wonder why they closed their doors. This is my 18th year of being a pastor here in the city of Hammond. Since I've been pastor, between 16 and 18 churches, solid Bible churches have closed their doors. I don't know, always know the reason specifically why. But I don't want our church to close its doors. And I don't want God to shut you out either. So this morning, before, as we get ready for communion, I challenge you. 
Look at your love for God. Do you love the world more than God? Do you lie about your love for God? Do you obey his commandments? Put it positively. Will you love God more than the world? Will you love God through the way you love his people? Will you do his commandments no matter what it costs you? Will you love his people? Will you do it by his standard? Will you be sacrificial? Will you follow his commands? I tell you, we're all going to face God. We're all going to stand before him. We're all going to get an evaluation for how we did our life. Looking for my final notes here. And so I challenge you, don't be numb about your love for God. God says you can get it back. Go on a second honeymoon with God. Make 2015 a year where you say, I am going to be passionate about my love for God. Make it a very blessed year. Be honest this morning, and especially as we hold communion now. If you need to repent, repent. Let's pray. Father, make it clear where the world and other sins have taken away from our love. Let us be honest, and let us have a major first step to make 2015 a year where our love burns passionate for you. Stir within all the people's hearts here today a passion to not have their lives be mediocre for God, but to be lives that burn with a fervency for you. Have it not just be a feeling, (coughs) but that which is concretely rooted in your word. That we are patient, kind, not jealous, not bragging, not arrogant. That we would not be rude, not seek our own, be not act out of provocation. That we would be forgiving to one another. That we would not rejoice in unrighteousness, but we would rejoice in truth. That we would bear, believe, hope, and endure all things. And do it in the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act. Help us, God, to avoid sins of omission. Help us to have an honest communion here. Amen.